Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, hello. Hello, ladies. I just had to try and figure out how long orange juice can be in the fridge before you shouldn't drink it. And I don't think I really came to a conclusion, but there were no mixes in the house. I thought there was kombucha in the fridge, and I thought that's quite a kind of LA energy to drink vodka and kombucha, but there's not, and there's no soda water. So now I'm drinking like weeks old orange juice. I feel like orange juice is just good till it's not good. I don't... Does it go off? I don't know. It tastes kind of foul, but I think that might just be like the hefty amount of vodka I put I'm inside it. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, ladies. We have a packed docket for the week. Lots of interesting topics to discuss. We do. I'm going to start with a few recommendations. I've been wanting to speak about these books for ages and it's really funny grace because i don't know if you'll know this but her name is elena ferranti and she has a whole bunch of books but i'd never heard of her till i moved here and i feel like a lot of people in australia and new zealand haven't heard of her even though she's like wildly famous over here in a way that as in like everybody has everybody and their mums has read her and I was like it's really funny to like not have that cultural point mm-hmm. but anyway she's an Italian author who no one actually knows who she is because she uses a pseudonym and it's quite wild like, I, I can't think of another author that is this famous or has written this many novels and people still don't know who they are it's me <laughs> but basically she's most famous for a bunch of novels called the neapolitan novels and there's four of them it's a four-part series and it's based on it's really gorgeous it's based on her friendship with her best friend called Leela and them growing up in like rural city outside of naples and in extreme poverty and it's basically about their neighborhood and she writes in such an incredibly brilliant way that basically these four books are just talking about a friendship, but it's so compelling and so interesting. And um, you just want to, you just like can't put it down. And I'm on the third one now. I got you to buy me the first one on my birthday, actually. Yes. A a birthday present. That's so good that you're ripping through them. I'll have to borrow. Yeah. And then she also wrote the book, The Lost Daughter, which was just that one that was just made into the Olivia Coleman Dakota Johnson um, Mm. movie by Maggie Gyllenhaal. Mm. How do you... Oh, I guess her publishers know who she is. I was like, how does she get... How does she sell the rights to her book? But she obviously has people who know who she is. You should do like a... We could do a deep dive pod. This could be our The Teacher's Pet. Who is she? 
and figure it out like that guy who figured out Dumois. <laughs> that guy who docks Dumois. People would fucking hate us, yeah. though. Maybe we could find out and then keep it to ourselves. <laughs> yeah. I think I was Googling before. There's heaps of Reddits on it. And then there's also some interview with a guy who reckons he's found out who she is. And then heaps of people were like, just getting really angry They're about like, it. like, I'm curious, but leave <laughs> her Reddit. alone. What's funny about it is she writes, these books sound so autobiographical and in it her name's elena and she writes she's a writer like it just it is her life but then obvious and obviously she grew up in naples and it's just very i just can't see it being that hard to figure out but then other people have been like maybe it's man but it's it's clearly not man that would be sad a sad twist oh fab so that's a book club recommendation which is a very chuggy vintage recommendation if you happen to have been born anywhere in the EU. And then other than that, I watched Bend It Like Beckham and loved it. And then had a dream I was playing soccer. <laughs> I played soccer for a very a very short and similarly unsuccessful stint to the basketball where I fell into a roller rink and broke my arm and then couldn't play the soccer season. It was a very tragic tale. But I loved Bend It Like Beckham when I was a young gal. Very formative film. I feel like you would have been good at soccer. Long legs and that. Not very coordinated. Long legs, big feet. <laughs> those, big, those big stompers heading out onto the pitch. <laughs> but wait, I, the men's football I saw shoes. a headline the other day and I, I searched for this piece and I couldn't find it. But a piece about the – so the actor who plays Jess, I had to Google her name, which is terrible, but Parminder Nagra, I hope I'm saying that right. It was like her, Kira Knightley, and Jonathan Rhys-Meyers kind of first movies and then Kira Knightley and Jonathan Rhys-Meyers became so famous and Parminder just became – like I think she's worked, but like obviously nowhere near the same scale. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I was thinking the exact same thing while I was watching it. And also, I think when I, this is how, this is, as you say, like having to Google her name feels embarrassing. And this is, feels really embarrassing to admit as well, because I remember Bend It Like Beckham, thinking of Kira Knightley as the main character yeah, in it. And she's just not at all. And then yeah. when I rewatched it, she's not at all. She's like the supporting character to Paminda. So yeah, it was really nice to rewatch it over the weekend and I loved it although I do think their coach do you remember the plot basically um Kara and Paminda's characters are like both obsessed with their football coach but then and he likes Paminda but then when you watch it back you're kind of like how old are you and is this creepy but whatever let's just let it be let it live (laughs) (laughs) where are the bend it like Beckham cast now is what I want to know as well Paminda's just a mom wait is David Beckham in Bend it like Beckham. I don't remember. He's in it in the sense of that they always talk talk to his posters on the wall, mm. basically. So no, but then at the end, they when they're on a plane about to go to America to go to university, there they see Posh and Becks in the airport. That's cute, but I don't think it's the actual Posh and Becks. You can't really see their faces properly. But what I was thinking was also quite iconic was the fact that way back then when Bendit Like Beckham came out, Posh and Bex were already this iconic couple and they've just lasted the test of time. I can't believe those two are still together. I know. I'm proud of them. <laughs> I'm proud of them too. An inspirational duo, a testament to marriage. Yeah. I have a great rec for you to watch. I was escaping the heat stroke on Friday and took myself to a movie on my own, which, as you know, is my favorite little genre activity to do. And mm-hmm. I saw Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, which we'd actually had down to discuss at some point. But it's this new English movie starring Emma Thompson, Queen from Love Actually. Oh, yeah. And many, many other things. Fame. And in it, she plays this like 60-something-year-old widow who's never, whose husband has died and who's never had an orgasm, and she hires a male sex worker, and it's this really hot Irish guy called Daryl McCormack, to 
bus her basically <laughs> and the whole movie is it's almost like a play it's their conversations before they bus is like most of the movie but it's such an amazing I just think it's so ground I it's the first movie I've seen in a while that I thought was genuinely groundbreaking and I have to give away a bit of a spoiler to explain why but I think just talking about middle-aged women's sex like in sexual pleasure is groundbreaking but in the end they're talking about sex and talking about sex and then in the end they just have this like gnarly sex scene where emma thompson you see everything she's fully naked like you see her everything and she's being like (laughs) vagina vagina (laughs) and she's being bus like doggy style and like they get a sex toy out and she like masturbates and it's this crazy amazing scene but she's had no work done. She just she said in interviews like she'd gained weight during COVID and she felt self-conscious about it. But she was like, you know what? No, fuck it. It's like important that I just look how I look in this and feel – I don't need to feel super sexy. I just need to show someone who looks like me having sexual pleasure and how, like, amazing that is. And as I was watching it, I was, I was kind of like I haven't seen something this genuinely – kind of groundbreaking in ages and it's just like a silly little kind of rom-com but it's not really a rom-com I don't know but just a, a silly little movie I love that so much it's so good and she's been doing all these interviews basically talking about how you know things we've talked about before middle-aged women being you know erased from culture and I think there's conversations about that but the idea that a 60 year old woman should be allowed to say I want an orgasm and I want to be able to fuck like a hot young guy to get one. Like she says some at some point in the movie, the guy Leo she's having sex with says, surely you can meet guys your own age. And she's like, yeah, but I want to fuck someone young and hot. <laughs> and I was like, yes, well yes. done, Emma Thompson. And her whole thing that she's talking about now is saying that sexual assistance should be on the National Health Service as, like, a thing that's offered to people in the same way we offer physiotherapy and, like, acupuncture and stuff because it is, especially if you're older or lonely or if you're a woman, there are a lot of people that could really, really benefit from regular sex and if there are sex workers that are really willing to do it as a job that they actually are interested in and enjoy, the government needs to regulate it and, like, put two and two together because, the ben- like, everyone knows the benefits of orgasming and having sex are massive on mental health and like yourself your own self-esteem your connection to other people and this idea that you should be able to get access to sex with people that are happy to do it happy and willing to do it for payment (laughs) is i love it needs to be regulated was it funny seeing these really intense (laughs) sex scenes alone in a dark cinema what yeah, I was a bit taken aback at first because it was, I was. I just felt like a little pervert. <laughs> if you were, if you were a lone man, you would look so seedy. Wait, did I ever tell you the story about how when I worked at the movies, we had to kick someone out for wanking during Les Mis? Oh, Les Mis, my God. the scene where Anne Hathaway like fucks a guy as a prostitute <laughs> and gets her head shaved. I well, I, I don't think I've seen that movie. Okay, but, <laughs> but it's like oh so God. dark, and she's like singing, and she's like crying, and it's just all so. Like she's like dirty. She's like a dirty Victorian wench. (laughs) This guy was like, (laughs) she's singing, she's crying, he's wanking, we're screaming. (laughs) Oh my god! Was he by himself? Yeah, and it was like a busy theater, so he had to be like dragged out. Stop. And then I was working when Blue is the warmest color came out, and always at two p.m. Some like weird, but again, I feel bad. Some like weird old guy would be like, one ticket, please. But then I'm, I don't know. No. I know. I'm like, wank at home. Everyone's wanked to blue is the warmest colour, but we do it at home. We do it at the fucking cinema. <laughs> okay. Perminda, just to finish off that conversation, I'm on an article by The Sun called Where are the Bend at Lake Beckham Cast Now? She was on ER for years. Huh. So she played a character on ER for years, and then, which means she will be rolling in the cash. Okay. Good. Uh, before appearing in the thriller TV series Alcatraz in 2012. What? She went on to have a supporting role as a guidance counsellor in season two of Netflix's 13 Reasons Why. What? I mean, I haven't seen season two. What? Oh, I have. Oh, mm, I think I have. Yeah, okay. Let me see how many Instagram followers she has and become one. <laughs> 
the real, Same the truth time. of the matter. <laughs> At least she's verified. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, she's so cute. Jada, she's got an actor and then in hashtags she has all these shows. And then the last one is Bender Like Beckham. Oh, Never forget. Justice. She was great in that. Anyway. Um, okay. On to another person who had a starring role, albeit unfortunately, <laughs> in Drake's new music video. Okay. Firstly, you're a Drake fan, right? Yeah. A reluctant Drake, Drake fan. A Drake fan. Yeah. Reluctant Drake. I tried to talk shit about Drake in LA to um, Tat and she was not having a fucking bar of it. She was like, I love Drake. I would fuck Drake. She's a lesbian. She was like, I love him so much. Like, she couldn't get enough. I was like, this is the most embarrassing thing you've ever said. But I know. Drake is, Drake's music is good. He's a problematic fave. He let us down when he didn't pick us out of that lineup at his concert. <laughs> That's when my fandom wavered. I know. We could have been one of these 23 women that he marries in this music video. Yeah. So he's got a new album out. It's called... Honestly, never mind. Honestly, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) That's quite a good album name. Yeah, it's a great name. I don't love the cover, but his new single off Honestly, Never Mind is called Falling Back and the music video came out and it is a nine-minute, like, extravaganza in which he professes to be finally ready to settle down and get married Uh, His mum's in the music video. He goes to the church and then he proceeds to show that he's actually marrying like 23 different women. And at the end, it shows a montage of all these hot women and their Instagram handles, which I don't – we can go into that, but the the big talking point is that at the start, his best man is Tristan Thompson, which is obviously (laughs) aligned with – which is insane and random and obviously – that's why I'm like, what the fuck is this about? Is he like taking the piss out of how dumb women are? (laughs) Or is it some deeper statement? Because I'm like, what is the Tristan Thompson cameo? He knows obviously what it suggests. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just thought it was like, my initial thought was it was him kind of taking the piss out of Tristan Thompson, but obviously maybe he wouldn't be so direct about that. But I was just like, Casting someone as stupid as Tristan Thompson and being like, come be in my music video. And then the music video is this. And Tristan Thompson not seeing how fucking funny that is to everyone else. Just being like, are you joking that you're in a music video with 23 different women when you like can't stop getting cheating on your girlfriend and getting other women pregnant? I I like looked at it that way. But then you're right. It It could just be him saying like that you can fuck up or whatever this many times i don't know i think that having the love child thing really affected drake's image Mm. because i think even though people kind of knew colloquially that he was a fuck boy he still managed to keep this sweet wholesome nice guy that's in love with rihanna vibe and then when you found out that he'd like had a one night stand with a brazilian porn actress and that he fathered a baby and was kind of denying it and had to admit it because he was outed on a kid cuddy song like it his reputation took a hit and it's almost like he's trying to ironically lean into being a fuck boy now. Cause like this last album was called certified lover. And then there was like hot sauce gate where the girl said that, what did, wait, the girl said that he put hot sauce in the condom. What? And then she like, how did you not hear this? I'm so sure we talked about it on the podcast or I like had it on my notes to talk for us to talk about on the podcast. He should be in prison if that's true. No, so she said <laughs> she's taking him to court. She was taking him to court because she said that after he came in the condom and took it off, he, like, put hot sauce in it in case she went to pour it in herself <gasps> to get pregnant. That was a full court case. And she poured it in herself to get pregnant. So obviously, this this video clips about how stupid women are. And then she said that she burnt her insides and is suing him. This literally happened. But why? Like, because she tried to pour it inside. Yes. Oh, my God. What what is she doing? She should go to jail. I know. (laughs) That is. I know. There should be a name for that. You can't force someone to be a father because he's rich and hot and will look after you. That's horrible. But then there is also, like, 
a way to avoid that where he just comes and then throws it in the sorry for saying comes so many times and then throws it in the toilet and flushes it he doesn't have to put hot sauce in it and burn people's insides off to teach them a lesson he's like he's like going around teaching hoes a lesson he's like a little trickster he's like Rumpelstiltskin or something <laughs> <laughs> How did he even do that? How did he even pour it on there? I don't even understand. Walking around with going around and having sex with all these girls and pouring hot sauce and all the condoms to teach them a lesson. Oh my god, he's he is he his energy's off. Yeah, I had that on our. I had that on my like notes app for so long to bring it up in the podcast. That's disturbing. I mean, it confirms my feelings. I feel like Drake's like the music industry's Leo, <laughs> which is why I can't like fully warm. The song sounded okay, and I was reading some reviews that were basically saying, which is quite interesting because this is what Kendrick's done as well. I think these guys have just made kind of self-indulgent, slightly experimental albums that aren't banger albums. It's They're just trying something It's like a house new. album. Or house tracks or whatever, which is quite random. Does it? Where's Where's yeah. Passion Fruit? Where's Nice For What? Where's... I know. I can't even remember. When I was at that party but I was dancing the night away, there was so many Drake songs, I was losing my little white girl mind. Oh, yeah, we went and saw Drake together. Yeah, it was fun. Fun. Random. Wait, so you need to tell me, because I haven't been watching the Kardashians... How does this play with Tristan Thompson? Because I, I feel like I've inadvertently seen that it, him and Chloe are in the news again. Okay, so it came out, this music video came out the same week as the season finale of The Kardashians, which is when Chloe finds out that Tristan has fucking fathered a baby this time to another woman oh while still trying to act like everything's good with them and work on their relationship. And it's really sad because the whole season, obviously we all know watching back what happens, but the whole season she's talking about how hard he's trying. And she, obviously you'd feel, um, you'd feel embarrassed. It's like that thing. It's of humiliating. Like you don't want to tell yeah. your parents. Yeah. You don't want to tell your be- your parents when you and your boyfriend have fights or when, when they fuck up because you want them to still like you. And she has that she has that with the whole world, where the whole world knows he's fucked up and she's like being like, no, he's really trying. And then this happens. And how she finds out about it is through one of her sisters, which is how she's found out every single time. Not one time has he bothered to tell her before the, the entire world finds out. So she finds out when, when one of her sisters reads the news. I'm like, just call her, Tristan, if you know the story's coming out. It's so bad. I just don't, yeah. I mean, I understand in the sense that, I don't know. I don't know what it's like to have a child with someone and really want to make that happen. I do feel as if the rhetoric of, like, why doesn't she just leave him is a bit simplistic. But, God, like. How much does this one person have to go through? I know. It's so unfair. A baby. When she wants another baby for him to have a baby, I actually kind of missed that he got someone else pregnant. I don't know how. (laughs) (laughs) Is the baby born and exists? Yeah, because we didn't find out about it basically until the baby was about to be born because he was trying so hard to hide it from the world and trying so hard to make her have an abortion. So all these texts have come out where he's saying that. It's this personal trainer called, like, Marley Should have tried the Nichols. hot sauce. Yeah. Imagine him and Drake's conversations. It would literally be, like, one one brain cell in the shape of a fucking penis just bouncing around a room. Penis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I know. And then, yeah, so when we found out was when she was basically giving birth. Because then she was taking him to court for custody and, I mean, for child money whatever god so yeah but yeah so he's in this which is so stupid and then the cuts piece was titled who told tristan thompson this was a good idea (laughs) which is very true it seems strange i just don't fully get it yeah the piece ended saying congratulations to these two terminally horny men on their brand synergy (laughs) yeah i feel like tristan kind of cheapens drake's Image or something? Yeah. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Okay, so on to my favorite topic ever. <laughs> my favorite documentary ever made. <laughs> my favorite documentary ever made that I can't believe I didn't watch the minute it came out. And this is like such proof of like my ADHD or whatever the fuck it is. Because I love, love, love Jennifer Lopez. Have, always have, always will. Always have, and always will. This Netflix documentary came out and I was kind of like, meh, I'll watch it at some point. And then last night when I put it on, I was just losing my mind every second. Had to keep rewinding it if I like zoned out for 0.05 of a second and missed one of her like choreographed dance routines. Um, But yeah, it's called Halftime and it chronicles her turning 50 and then um, going through to her, was it 2020? Can't have been 2020. Super Bowl performance. Yeah, it was 2020. It was just before COVID. Oh, right. Okay. Um, <laughs> super spreader event. <laughs> Her Super Bowl halftime performance um, in 2020. And yeah, what did you think of it? I, as you know, I'm like very skeptical about these music docs because they're so... This, like every other music doc that's come out in the last five years... The Beyonce one, the Taylor Swift one, Janet Jackson one, Billie Eilish, they're produced by the person. So they're essentially like pieces of PR. However, I found this the most enthralling of all of them for some reason. And I think it's because, (laughs) A, I think J-Lo is genuinely really interesting, like a very interesting person. And B, she's so... I get everyone a stage manage, but like when Beyonce like tries to show behind the curtain, I feel like you don't feel like you're looking behind the curtain. And someone like Billie Eilish, even mm. though she's incredibly vulnerable in her documentary and she opens up about it because she's Gen Z, it feels like less of a thing. I for some reason this thing about J Lo, who's so picture perfect, always together amazing, and the way this documentary was done, which feels really genuine and authentic even though you're aware the whole way through that it's very stage managed I felt like I came away with a real glimpse at who she is in a genuine (laughs) way compared to all these other docs which is why I liked it yes I know I know what you mean I also thought it's one of those things where when it came on when I pressed play my boyfriend was in the room and I was just like it is so crazy how she is still so relevant today yes. like i can't really name another performer of her generation who is like still relevant in the way that she is and he was kind of like oh what do you mean by relevant today and i was like well we're still talking about her all the time we're still seeing her face everywhere she and i'd forgotten about i was like obviously she performed at the super bowl halftime show she walked in versace's Milan mm. Fashion Week show a couple of years ago. I forgot about things like the fucking inauguration, like mm-hmm. all of these huge things she's doing in the past couple of years. Her her getting re-engaged to be an Affleck at the same time. I think the only thing that she's not kind of still killing it. Oh, Hustlers. Hustlers. hustlers yeah, producing being so and starring huge. in this huge Oscar snubbed but Oscar style movie. 
Yeah, and like like a couple of years ago, so her acting, her producing, her performing, her relationships, like she's she's her walking in the fashion show and being such a fashion icon. She's like still everywhere at um, 50 and after so many years of being in the industry. And I think the documentary just showed like how much of a cultural icon she is and has been for so long, which obviously I know as being a huge, huge fan of hers from when I was a child. I think my biggest takeaway from it, I think we all, maybe I shouldn't speak for everyone, but I kind of, I felt bad watching (laughs) it because I think we all think of JLo as like a bit genre. Yeah. And I think watching it, I was just thinking, like, the arc of the documentary was really about how she has had to work. Like, you talk about women and women of color especially having to work harder than anyone else to get a seat at the table, be in the room, be recognized. She is, like, the epitome of someone that has worked like a dog for literally 35 years to earn, like, not a single thing that's happened has been from people saying, oh, wait, J-Lo's amazing. Oh, wait, let's give J-Lo an award. Like, she has had to work her ass off for everything. And I think because she's a good singer but not, like, a great singer and she's a good actress but not, like, a great actress and she's a good dancer but not, like, a great dancer, people refuse to give her her dues because they don't see her as, like, excelling at a single thing which is then totally negating to recognize how incredible it is to be that good at those three things for that amount of time and to still be at the top of her game at 50 and to have done everything she has while still being this like household name that everyone is still, like you say, obsessed with talking about, discussing after three decades. It's just incredible. And I think that I really liked how seriously she takes, like, the Super Bowl halftime show, the Versace show in Milan, they're these kind of moments where they're massive in pop culture, but you don't think of them as requiring, I don't know, that much hard work, maybe. Then you watch the actual logistics of how she pulls these things together, and it's incredible. She's, like, an elite athlete plus a CEO (laughs) plus a (laughs) director plus a record producer. It's insane i know i really loved seeing obviously you would have as well all of the um dance choreography and her like practicing for the super bowl but it was so crazy because i didn't think about it at the time but you know how j-lo and shakira obviously co-headlined the i don't know i I don't follow the super bowl that closely so i didn't really realize that what they were doing was asking both J-Lo and Shakira to be the halftime performers when usually it's one artist and then they bring on a bunch of people that they, they – a bunch of guests. So people who have headlined on their own is like Lady Gaga, Beyonce, who famously lip-synced, lip-sank, <laughs> Katy Perry, Bruno Mars, Maroon 5, <laughs> Justin Timberlake, The Weeknd. Sorry, I have something against The weekend. I'm always shocked about The weekend. anywhere. I feel like that about Maroon 5. I'm like, why are Maroon 5 famous? I don't understand. Like, I don't – I do not get why they've headlined the Super Bowl. I do not understand why they're at the Victoria's <laughs> Secret show. I don't – I'm like, what did they sing that – this love song? Who are they? It's so ran- – it's so <laughs> random. They are so famous. It is outrageous that Maroon 5 could have their own Super Bowl slot and Jennifer fucking Lopez has to share it again and Shakira has to share it like people have been trying to which I hate reframe the documentary as somehow quote unquote shading Shakira because JLo is complaining about having to share the slot whereas what she's saying is she should have had an individual slot one year and Shakira should have had an individual slot another year and lumping them together just because they're both Latino is so fucking gross and I wish we'd properly grasped it at the time because it doesn't make any sense. But like you say, I think people maybe thought that they'd decided to do it together or they wanted to present it together or it was something they decided to do as a duo because um, there was obviously so much rhetoric around Trump and anti-Mexican like and like Latino immigration. I kind of thought they'd maybe J-Lo had been offered it and invited Shakira to do it with her is what I thought. But yeah. now seeing starkly that JLo wanted it on her own and didn't wasn't given it is really egregious and awful. Really, really insane. <laughs> She's such a massive performer. How dare they? 
How dare, like literally, how dare they? How dare they? Can't actually believe it. And then, yeah, so the Oscars, Hustler's controversy was controversy was another thing that they massively touched on in the documentary. Um, I felt a little jarred out for her when it didn't. I mean, it should she should have been nominated because she was incredible in it. And also when it showed the screen of just the all, like basically all blonde white woman being nominated yes. that year and her not getting one and how much buzz she'd had around it and how she got nominated for the Golden... Wait, oh, she didn't win. Laura Dern won, but she got nominated for the Golden Globe and how it's it kind of it's what I found really interesting about it was the way it showed that you can be someone you can be someone as famous as JLo and someone as successful as JLo and have all these accolades and have all these people obsessed with you and at the same time still just be looking for validation from mm-hmm. like the one place that criticizes you and and showing that with all of that she still feels like an imposter and she still feels like she's not good enough because she's not doing serious movie roles and because she hasn't been nominated for an Oscar and because she hasn't I don't know what her Grammys status is or anything but because her music is kind of seen as pop music and about love songs it's just so interesting. It's funny because The Guardian wrote a piece which I just I always like love hearing these like reading these critiques because it brings me back down to earth because when you're watching these documentaries you get very caught up in the hype and it's good to be balance it out but the guardian wrote in their review uh they say they talk about what they liked about it and they say this is where it gets trickier positioning a stunning multi-talented pop star movie star and businesswoman as the underdog is not entirely convincing as a narrative thread not getting an oscar nomination is a heartache that most viewers will find it hard to relate to and i really disagreed with that because i thought as insane as it is i actually did relate a lot to that idea of I don't know, people geeing you up about something and you getting in your head that something's going to happen and, and something that you've not allowed yourself to think is possible for you because people have told you that, you know, that's for other people and not for you and then finally feeling like you're going to get it and getting so close. Like I was like, I think that's really relatable for a lot of people. Yes, it happens to be an Oscar and it's J-Lo, but I think that was so humanizing for her to be open about the fact that she really, really wanted it and she said in the doc, which I think is so – telling as well like there's a game that you have to play you have to go to all these events you have to meet all these people you have to dress up and wear the things you have to do all of this stuff to campaign for yourself and I did all of that like we talk about how Kirsten Dunst has been snubbed because she refuses to do it JLo who brings so much star power to any event actively did that stuff and then to be snubbed for the final thing when everyone was saying she could win it to not even get nominated there should have been more outrage about it I think, as you say, with these documentaries, often, you know, Beyonce's Beyonce's documentary I loved because I'm <laughs> Jado and like her and I'm excited for her stupid new album. But with this, you saw inside JLo's room of friends and family and her like makeup artist and her hair person and her stylist all in a room waiting at the Golden Globes to see if she won and they're all just like yes 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 and then she loses and they're all like oh and you can just and you feel this awkwardness of like oh god and then you can and then she comes in and they're all just cheering for her and it's it's it just felt yeah very honest yeah a hundred percent I liked I think the biggest thing that's exciting and inspiring about her like we talk a lot about nepotism babies it's not even to compare her to people like Beyonce and Lady Gaga because they, I, I think it's more to put her on the level with them. I feel like people don't – they think of her as, as famous as them but don't put her on the same level as a performer. Which is insane because her early music is just absolutely flawless, honestly. Like, I'm sorry, Get Right is better than any song Lady Gaga <laughs> has ever released. Shoot me, like yes. kill me, it's true. There are so many – hits like every one of her songs (laughs) (laughs) let's get at the inauguration yes i will when they showed that moment i was like go off queen like that was so misplaced and misjudged and the fact that you put it proudly in your documentary (laughs) 
Like the funniest thing about JLo is like she is insane. I was just on the phone before. I was on like FaceTime video to my friend Bambi, who's a DJ in Toronto, and she's like, "What are you talking about on the pod?" And I was like, "The JLo documentary," and she was like, "She is insane," and I was like, "She is insane," but like she's so lovable. Why does she do such a good job of showing she's not insane in the documentary? Like that was almost the biggest. The, the greatest trick she seemed so no, I think normal she, and I down think to earth. she came earth. across as like, she came across as normal and down to earth, but also just, she just comes across as like that mum character that just kind of doesn't get it. Like she just doesn't get it about things. You know how she was like, I don't, she's like, politics just isn't for me. But, yeah. you know, I was like, don't say that stuff. She's like, kids in cages? No. <laughs> You're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, Yes. Yes. She was like, well, that was really upsetting. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's true. But she's an icon. Yeah. She, the elephant in the room, I, I'm obs- what I'm obsessed with more than anything else about the whole documentary is like a lemonade moment. How Beyonce said, Jay-Z, you cheated on me, but I'm going to forgive you. But you have to like grovel and appear in these, in the lemonade music video and like kind of demasculate yourself to show that I'm supreme. I feel like that is the same vibe to Ben Affleck having a 60-second talking head in this documentary. So he obviously got mic'd up, sat down, sat for a whole interview, and they just pulled out the thing that would be a soundbite for the ads to get people to watch it. Iconic. Iconic. That is so true. I never thought of it like that. A feminist. He got less screen time than Paris Goebel or, like, anybody else. Far less, Yeah. J'adore. I love that so much. I think I think maybe part of it is that she's had six engagements. And so she's like, I don't want to place a man at the front and center of my documentary in case this one tumultuously comes to an end for the third time. I love, the, yeah, the elephant in the room is her like 79 carat diamond ring that she's wearing for like all of the footage when she was engaged to A-Rod. I was like, that's not the Ben Affleck ring. And then I realized that all of the talking heads and stuff would have been filmed ages ago. Oh, my God. Yes. I loved this piece by To Get Highbrow for a minute by Naomi Fryer, who's the fab writer for The New Yorker. And she wrote it about the halftime show, but she was just talking about like what people love about JLo and she says writes <laughs> I feel Jado reading this don't be fooled by the rocks that I got I'm still Jenny from the block yeah <laughs> she sang in 2002 in the first single of her third album and I recall at the time scoffing at the singer's insistence on her Bronx girl next door bona fides and yet over the years I have come to believe that there is something to this claim what distinguishes J-Lo, at least as far as her public persona goes, is her stalwart J-Lo-ness. A warmth, a sass, a strong work ethic, a taking care of business bossiness, cut through with a girlish lightness and, in, term of looks, in terms of looks, honey-hued planes pleasingly arranged that suggest a sensual but steely-edged femininity, which I like, love this Pulitzer-style writing about J-Lo. But I think it's true. I think that... She sang Jenny from the block and everyone made fun of her because she's so bougie and wears, like, drinks from, like, a diamond-encrusted keep cup. But there is just inescapably something down-to-earth and, like, girl next door and girl who's just working her ass off to be recognized that you just can't help but respect. A bazillion times. Also, a a few things – one, I find it funny after watching this that we credit the Kardashians for curves. That's so fucking true. I didn't even think of that. That is so I remember true. watching J-Lo movies when I was a kid, watching Made in Manhattan, the best film that's ever been made that I'm probably going to watch tonight. Mm. <laughs> yes. And every yes. fucking I – haven't, I haven't seen Selena since I was a kid. I need to rewatch that. She has so many hits, and I remember seeing her butt and thinking – that is so fucking sexy. How do I look like that? And that was long before I even knew who Kim Kardashian was. Yes. I think this is – I think what the documentary is doing, which I think is great. It's funny because I was at dinner on Saturday night and my friend um, Yoda was saying, oh, my God, you have to watch this documentary. Like, it's about Jennifer Lopez and how she's so underrated and no one appreciates, like, all this work that she's done and she's done all this amazing stuff. And I was very – I scoffed. I was, like, incredulous. I was, like, she's so famous. She's so successful. Like, boo-hoo-hoo. She didn't get an Oscar nomination. Horrible human I am. And now I think, God, she has – 
she should be credited with so much more than she is, but she has this like head down, hard work, keep pushing ahead mentality. And it's meant that she hasn't been credited for things that she should have been credited for. She's done like 48 movies that have grossed at over 3 billion said the credits at the end. My favorite thing was the credits at the end, which read like an actual media kit. <laughs> it was like yes. sold 80 million, 80 million albums worldwide with 15 billion streams. Starred in 40 movies grossing $3 billion, has generated more than $5 billion in consumer sales as a brand. I was like, who made these end credits? It's also, like 40 million, sorry, 40 movies is fucking insane. She's only yeah. 50. Yeah, no, it's, and it's great. One thing that I got pissed off at is that they didn't mention her incredible J-Lo fragrance label. Oh, I thought you were going to say fantasy. Surely label. fantasy by J-Lo. I owned that as a child, obviously. Yeah. I thought Philly had won the Same, lottery obviously. when I got it. It was probably like $19 from Chemist Warehouse. <laughs> okay, one final thing before we need to move on, because we're running out of time for this segment, is that I was very happy to see that uh, not only Paris Goebel, but just the representation of Kiwis and Pacific Islanders in uh, the Super Bowl halftime show, um, Paris Goebel, who's a Kiwi choreographer, choreogra- choreographed the entire thing, which I knew. But then seeing them doing the uh, rehearsals together and seeing Paris, like, <laughs> demanding J-Lo and Shakira around and all of the dancers, a lot of whom are Paris's OG people that she brought over from New Zealand, um, including Lance Savali, who I've interviewed before and who's very hot. And they all did it, and that's very exciting. Lo- yeah, I loved it. I heard that Kiwi accent. I was like, is this the choreographer of the Sorry by the famous Sorry by Justin Bieber video that has haunted my life yes. and dreams for 10 years? <laughs> OG listeners will know that my toxic trait is getting drunk and watching I'm Sorry. I'm Sorry. <laughs> watching Sorry by Justin Bieber's music video on the train and crying. And how good it is. <laughs> End of anecdote. Okay. On to... We've been asked by a few of the girlies for our thoughts on everything I know about love now that we have watched past um, the earnest, kind of cheesy and a little bit embarrassing, but still cute, first few episodes <laughs> of Dolly Alderton's show. <laughs> I'm also, like, petrified because I know Dolly doesn't listen to this podcast, but I know, like, from knowing her inside out for the past few years and listening to her podcast, feeling like we do anyway, and listening to her podcast in a way that you guys probably feel about us, and now I'm feeling very meta, um, she would be, like, seeking out every review of her show. I was going to say, I would just Google on Spotify my name if I wrote a show and then just listen to every person's segment. So there's, like, quite a high chance that... Yes. I know. I do... I felt the same, but I... Uh, we were critical of the first couple of episodes, no more so than 90% of the reviewers out there. But I think we, you could probably hear in it and our like caveats around it were that we adore her as a human and that I think what was missing was like the dolliness that everyone expects. So I think she was probably a bit of a victim of high expectations and like loaded mm. expectations. Because I think if this show, I was trying to think about if this show just came out and you didn't, like, have any context. Like, if someone was like, oh, this journalist wrote this this TV show about life in your 20s, you'd watch it and you'd find it, like, a bit cringe and a bit thing. And then you'd maybe settle into it and be like, you know what, that show was actually pretty good. I really liked it by the end. But because there's this huge juggernaut of hype and expectation, I think you know, you came into it hoping it would be a masterpiece. <laughs> and then it's like, just good. It's good. It's a good show. Do you know what else is also quite interesting about it is like it felt as though because we know that the character of Maggie is so closely based on Dolly, so much so that I don't even think in the book she really goes into the fact that she worked on as a producer, story producer on a reality mm. TV show. Yeah. But I knew that that's what Dolly did, that – do you know what probably would have made it really successful if it had been made five years ago? If she was played herself, like Lena Dunham plays Hannah and Phoebe Waller-Bridge plays Fleabag because I think I'm looking at this Maggie character and wanting it to be Dolly because you know it is her. 
I was literally thinking this exact same thing when I was watching it today. It's so funny you said that. I was thinking that there are so many lines of dialogue and things that are being said that I actually think I actually I think Emma Appleton, the actress, is like a very I think she's going to be a very successful actress. I think she's Daisy mm. Edgar Jones esque, where she's very charismatic. She's in a lot of stuff at the moment. She's really a lot of screen presence, fantastic, but she doesn't. Um, and again, I don't even think it's her not nailing the comedy. I think it's like you have in the back of your head what those lines would sound like if Dolly said them, and they would just be so much. Even the facial expressions and the responses to things, I just think there were little nuances to the way she wrote that were missed in the delivery. And if she delivered it, mm. I feel like everyone would have been obsessed with it because you actually just want to hear her say these things. Like you want to hear her respond to the boyfriends this way and talk to her friends that way. Yeah, she's she is so fucking funny. And see her getting in like the cab to Liverpool that costs 200 pounds because she's like does not want to go home and not keep partying and then gets there and it's like 6 a.m. <laughs> the party's over and the guy's like, hi. Like when you're watching it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's in theory funny. And I feel like if you actually saw Dolly Alton standing in the doorway with her, I don't know, I just like it would have yes. been hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. I was like, this is this is like a funny scene and crazy, but it just felt very low-key the way it was delivered. But basically after episode three, I began to like it a lot more. I f- really started liking it when she went with her parents to that, like, whatever the fuck that was <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and ended up getting... <laughs> giving the like newly sober man drugs in the bathroom and then pashing him and it not Love. turning into this big thing. And then her just like yelling at him about, what did he say? He said something where he was trying to act like he was young. And she was like, you would have been 40 in the nineties. Grow up. And then Grow like stormed out of the bathroom. And when they were at the dance floor and she's so wasted and he's like these middle-aged women are trying to dance with him. And she just weirdly gets jealous and starts trying to sexy dance yes. to compete. I found yes. that so funny. I was really loving yeah. it. There was so many bits that should have just been, that were really funny. Like when she saw the gynecologist and she was like, trousers down, twat out. And I was like, oh my God. So funny. Yeah. Them doing like, so, and there were a lot of things that you obviously can really relate to. And I think the way that it throws back to that time Yes. I think we're like a tiny bit too young, like not really, but just a couple of years too young to really, really remember in the way that she would. Because I can't even remember. I know that obviously I was like dating and an adult when dating apps came out, but I can't remember them like she can. And I love the song choices. They're so spot on, which is obviously Dolly because she loves music so much. Like when they played Hot Chip, Layback. Oh my God. yes. 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 And when they did, I was laughing so much at the scene where she goes outside and she's talking to those, like, young guys where she's like, do you want to come to a cool party? And then it cuts to her and her yes. boss being like, that's not my name. <laughs> that's not, like, yes. the most genre, like thing ever. <laughs> this is so good. It's the first, like, piece of TV that has really captured an era that's only just kind of finished with the, like, Kate Moss for Topshop dresses and the certain – um, music choice, like the certain music and the certain, even that outfit that her friend wears where it's the bodysuit with the, you have to gaffer tape your tits because it has mesh all the way down to your belly button and it's like a bodysuit. Yes. I wore that. Like I was like, oh, my God, I would just remember all of these horrible things and we'd wear denim shorts with tights underneath and boots because we thought we looked like Alexa Chung, I guess. Yes. I love all of that stuff as well. Same. I think, yeah, I think basically the moral of the story is it definitely gets a lot better. I love it, how it kind of expands on her friend's storylines. I also just love, yeah, how obviously the main focus of the book and the show is her relationship with Birdie and how relationships as friendships as adults can become complicated and messy and a bit weird. And like, obviously they're both not communicating well, so it's making them get more and more distant and and we've talked about this before how it's just that thing with where it's your romantic partner you kind of just have a screaming match and get all of your feelings out but with friendships you feel too friendships and uh family even Mm. you feel too like polite to to do it and so weirdly you just end up kind of miscommunicating and like it just gets it just goes on and on and i think they display that really perfectly, though I just don't really know if you need the scenes of them as kids. Like, you can tell they're close friends without her constantly, like, 
seeing them dance in their silly private school uniforms. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I read a really good piece in The Guardian. I keep talking about the fucking Guardian. Um called How Millennial Women Became TV's Most Tedious Trope and it flickered off something in my brain. But basically this piece is about how in the last 15 not even 15, 10 years, um probably starting with Lynn Dunham and Girls, Fleabag being the most famous, but, like, there's been all of these shows about a certain type of millennial woman and they are actually all the same. Like, they're just messy and emotional and they can't be contained and they're helplessly romantic and they drink too much and smoke too much and fuck up but they're still good at heart and they're charismatic and how it's actually gone from being a thing that was meant to challenge how women were represented in film to becoming, like, a boring stereotype about women that feels not true. Mm. And I think that kind of does – it was writing this in context of everything I know about love. Um, So here's a quote quickly from it. It says, Maggie might believe herself to be unique, but she isn't. Messy millennial woman is everywhere. Over the last few years, she's dominated every TV comedy drama. She's Fleabag. She's Susie and I Hate Susie. She's Arabella and I May Destroy You. She's Ayn and This Way Up. She's Jessie and Starstruck. She's May and Feel Good. She's Sasha and Mood. Um, The main traits of the messy millennial woman are thus. She has a complicated love life and a dysfunctional relationship with her family. She's unreliable. She's often an unreliable employee, an unreliable friend. Unhappiness, low self-esteem, and a tendency to self-sabotage radiates from her. But she's also joyful and charismatic, the good time girl that lurches from crisis to crisis, from euphoria to despair. And this piece was basically saying that most women exist somewhere outside of that where they're also trying to create order and structure and push forward with some semblance of what they want their lives to look up and have traits of this like messy millennial woman, but it's not the entirety of who they are and how what about bookish people that are, you know, sensible and not chaotic? Like why isn't there room for them in film? Which sounded like a boring thing to say, but then I thought maybe this show would have been amazing if it was – if Birdie was the protagonist and she had this kind of – she is this slightly dorky girl that's like moved to London and has all these like dreams of doing the sex in the city thing, but then meets a really sensible, stable guy and falls in love. And her chaotic, like slightly nuts friend is constantly worrying her by disappearing for days at a time and being crazy and inviting weird guys into the house and doing drugs and like constantly. And she's <laughs> at odds with like wanting to progress and get older but also wanting to hold on to her youth with this per- this messy person and feeling guilty and ch- like, I was like that would actually be something genuinely new that hasn't been shown in TV that's so true um I that think is really true it's kind of the problem with everything I know about love is that it's a lot of it's great but I think we just all feel like we've seen it before maybe yeah it's like funny and, but, yeah, we've seen girls taking MDMA and, like, rubbing their coats before. <laughs> yeah. But I still liked it when she did it with the landlord and then she and then he goes, rub my scalp. And she started stroking his hair and he goes, no, my scalp. <laughs> like, I, like, liked that line of that line of dialogue. And then she, like, starts rubbing it. She frowns and has to, like, actually get his scalp. I was like, that's iconic. But, yeah, in conclusion, I mean, I think that – Dolly Alderton left the show purposefully with some open ends for perhaps a season two, um, which I would watch. Basically, it's similar to, uh, my God, I can't think of the name. Oh, and just like that, where yeah, it has its flaws, not not as many flaws, obviously, <laughs> but I will still watch and will still watch, and I'm glad it exists. Yes, agreed. Oh, love you guys. Love you. Bye. Bye. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.